The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And I'm Max George. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring this podcast upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. If any of you are wondering, that is a variation on Jeremiah 11.11, which should, if you've seen the movie, tell you exactly what we're talking about today. And if you have seen the movie, you wondered what the scripture said the entire length of the movie, but were too afraid to open your phone and look up the scripture because you were in a theater. <laughs> and thank you for that, because no one likes that person. I tried. Oh, I wanted to look it up so bad, so bad, but I did not. Yeah. Okay, well, so let's let's address it directly. We're talking about Us by Jordan Peele. <laughs> This might get challenging. It's kind of like our It episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about us, the movie. Man, we're going to have this problem again with It Part 2. We are. I'm so excited for It Part 2. Or if we ever talk about them, really anything that's like a, <laughs> a basic pronoun. Them, others, it, us. <laughs> it's just a mess. Now there needs to be a movie called We. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. All right, so obviously we saw opening weekend the film Us, opening night actually, locally, and well, and, and we went and saw it together, so that's always fun. We went with a big group of friends, and gotta say, we kind of got a lot of mixed reactions to this movie. I, I'd say this has been a horror movie that when I went into it, I thought would be kind of like universally loved, but it's and 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 generally the the critical response seems to be universal love, but it seems like the the audience reactions are really divided. Well, and you and I were really excited for this movie. A lot of our friends were very excited. Some of our friends had no idea what the movie was going to be about. But like you mentioned, this is a movie that was directed and I believe produced by Jordan Peele and written. Um, who gave us the most amazing Get Out movie, which we've done an episode on, and we were just both cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about, <laughs> because it's mm -hmm. an incredible, incredible movie. Was that a racial joke? Oh, eh. mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um, no? If it was, it was unintentional. Anyway. So your so your deep internal biases are showing. Uh, Freudian slip, apparently. It's my tethered. It's not me, it's the tethered. <laughs> Which we'll have to get into in a second. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I agree with you. I think the movie had kind of a lot of interesting feedback. I think the negative feedback I heard in the movie theater was a little unwarranted. Um, because yeah, if you look at the critics' reviews of it, for the most part, it's been doing fairly well. I think, I mean, for the uh, its premiere at South by Southwest had a hundred percent freshest rating. I think it's at like ninety four percent now, so is, we're still really high. I mean, it it didn't keep that hundred percent like Get Out did, but still very very positive responses uh especially from the critical community um so how about we just kind of dive into it and maybe talk about some of the best and good things about the movie as a whole um maybe we should do a quick plot synopsis though where this is a fairly new movie yeah and of course spoilers spoilers please you shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't watched the movie so i guess I'll say that. I think it's a it's a movie worth watching, and if you've gotten this far and have heard some kind of weird spoilers that had no context already, because we've already mentioned some stuff, please go watch it. I I do recommend it, even if even if there are things about it that I didn't love as much as I expected to. And the less you know about this movie too, I think that helps. 
the trailer kind of gives some very clear indications about what's going on. But um, the less you know, I think the more exciting it is. Um, so definitely, if you haven't seen it, stop right now. Find someone you love. Take them out to the movies. Go see this movie. Get a lot of snuggles in because it's a very snuggly movie. And here uh, we go. Is... Okay, snu- <laughs> the, the, the snuggly movie. Is it just because it has bunnies in it? Well, it does have bunnies, which I couldn't figure out until the very end. Okay, but we'll get to those in a second. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scare of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Okay, so, plot (laughs) summary. Uh, There is a family, the Wilsons, who are going to their summer home. They're just on vacation, going to go have some some good times. And you find out, uh, and and this keeps uh, having another story kind of intercut, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But basically, they are at the summer home. They are going to go to the beach, but the wife of the family... Adelaide, she is a bit hesitant to to go to the beach because uh, she had a bad experience at that beach when she was a child. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the, the story that keeps being intercut in. Uh, it's you know she, as a small girl, you know was hanging out with her parents. She went um, into this hall of mirrors that was very racist on the uh, against Native Americans. Uh, that was out on the beach. She goes inside this hall of mirrors. She sees a little girl who looks just like her, but it's not a mirror. Then, you know, presumably was was traumatized for life from that event. And, and you know, we also see, you know, instances of her going to, like, a, a therapist and, and just, you know, kind of dealing with that very deep trauma over the, the time after that. Basically, so they go to the, the beach. The son sees some weird dude in a red jumpsuit holding a pair of scissors with bloody hands that doesn't really get addressed directly at that time you get some context for it later they go home they are hanging out at the house and then suddenly there's a family on their driveway that won't leave that ends up starting to try to break in and once they're all inside they realize that this family that broke in who are also wearing the weird red jumpsuits and all have the scissors they look exactly like them. And you find out at that point uh, from the mother of the Red family, who who uh, is referred to as Red, uh, she basically says, like, hey, like I am tethered to you. We're all tethered to you. And my life has been hell because of being tethered to you. You know, I'm not with someone I love. I, I had to marry the person that you married or the, the person tethered to the person that you're married. And I have these monster children and I have suffered and we're going to punish you. And, you know, they, the the family, after some interesting violent confrontations, manages to escape and they try to go across this lake to their friend's house. And they find out that their friends have also been killed by tethers that look just like them and then from there it's basically you know kind of trying to unravel the mystery and bad goes to worse where they kind of realize that not only is their family being pursued by these kind of tethered identical lookalikes but also the entire nation it shows some creepy found footage of um, some newscasters who are showing all of these identical twins out there kind of going on a murderous rampage and so worse goes to even more worse and the family kind of ends up really encountering their twins ultimately everyone kills their their other they're tethered except for adelaide the main character uh her twin red steals her youngest son uh jason and takes them into that same kind of hall of mirrors spook alley that she went as a child 
Um, and so she's got to kind of confront her fears and go walk through this very Native American racist building. But now, now it's fine because it has uh, Merlin on it. <laughs> yeah. And she finds kind of this weird pathway that takes her deep underneath the building and into this like abandoned complex underneath the ground with these rabbits that are all over everywhere. We come to find out that this there's this entire kind of world below the country kind of goes into that they're the sh these shadow people that are doppelgangers that look like us and they were created to keep balance in the world and yeah well it, it says that it was so that the scientists that created them could control the people up above if they wanted to and we'll get into that a little bit more because there's a lot of mystery there of mm -hmm. who these scientists were what's going on what's controlling it almost kind of felt divine in some ways for me red and adelaide kind of get into this crazy but beautiful i thought um choreographed like murder dance uh, because Adelaide was a ballet student as a child. Ultimately, Adelaide kills Red, saves her son, and escapes to the world above with her family, and they kind of drive off into the sunset. And then there's a plot twist, Nathaniel. It's revealed just kind of through a, a single glance between Adelaide and her son. It's actually not Adelaide. It's that back when that incident happened in, in the childhood, Red actually took Adelaide dragged her down and put her in her place, you know, like literally like chained her down there in her, oh yeah, chained her down there and then basically went back up and took her place on the surface. And so this character that we've been thinking of as Adelaide the entire movie is actually the tether, Red. And so that's that's the twist. <laughs> that seems, you know, have, have factored into the reason for there being a revenge. Oh, and then, it, and then we kind of pan out from the car, and then you see, and I, we haven't referenced this yet, but uh, you see all of the tethered all holding hands in a giant line all the way across the mountainside, you know, all the, you know, as far as the eye can see. Uh, and that's a reference to uh, hands again or hands across America, uh, which was something that like young Adelaide had a shirt of. So overall, that was kind of a real brief zoom through of the plot. For me, one of my favorite parts was the cinematography of the movie. I thought it was very well done. There were a lot of creepy angles, a lot of creepy kind of visual effects that they used. And just the location. I I don't know. It, it struck me very beautiful and almost artistic in some ways, especially kind of with the rabbits. And I interpreted the rabbits kind of as like this was going to be something to do with cloning or mass reproduction, something of that nature. And it, it wasn't. It, turned out that they were just using the rabbits for substance but i mean the opening movie it's zoomed in on one rabbit and slowly zooms out to this kind of wall of caged rabbits and it i don't know it was it was really interesting to me what did you think um i feel like there is a level of symbolism to the rabbits that i have not yet fully been able to parse but more than the rabbits what did you think kind of about the cinematography set pieces that kind of stuff well, I would say that this is a movie that definitely the set pieces are some of the strongest aspects of the film. You know, the creepy costumes of the tethered, you know, where it's the red jumpsuits and the golden scissors. And, and, you know, each of them has like one leather glove with the fingers cut off and like just a lot of those little details. I don't even know necessarily have, have a clear idea of why they they we're all dressed that way they have scissors to cut the tether that just kind of dawned on me yeah yeah whoa <laughs> mind bomb and, and and i mean there's definitely like a level of symbolism you know with with the colors and with this you know like the the shape of scissors and all sorts of stuff like that all of those things were very evocative they definitely drew you in drew your interest so much more than than they would have if it was something else, if it was something less visually interesting to look at. And the uh, the idea of this kind of tethered civilization living underneath us, I thought was really clever and fairly original for horror. You know, a lot of times in horror, we kind of have the same motifs and kind of stereotypical plot lines just kind of reinvented but this one i thought was fairly unique and fairly original 
Yeah, I mean, like, we definitely have seen, you know, the idea of the doppelganger or things like that. Of course. Before in horror. But, yeah, to have it on this scale, I think, was very unexpected. And and it didn't set you up to, to know that in the trailer, which is something I liked. I mean, it's funny, because actually, like, going back and watching the trailer again, I saw that actually it had the tether of the, the friend Kitty in the trailer. But, like, yeah, I had no idea that... That, that, that it was going to be with more people than just the family. And really the whole kind of civilization underneath ours, and we'll get to maybe some of the symbolism or things that it could mean later on, but this this idea, you know, that the opening movie started out with a quote that talked about these like tunnels underneath the country and subways that have been abandoned and no one has been using them for years and you and I looked at each other and were just like, well, what does this have to do with anything? And so it was just, I don't know, a really kind of creepy original idea that really kind of got under my skin a few times. Though I will say, actually, that title card thing, whatever you want to call it, where that, that, you know, said, hey, like there's, you know, thousands of miles of tunnels under the whole country. Didn't love it. I felt like it kind of gave me some big clues as to what was ha- going to happen, and then it and then it was kind of, you know, tied in very similarly to, to what I expected. Like, as I started getting information, I was like, oh, well, now I have all this context for that original quote. And it kind of almost spoiled some stuff for me. I don't yeah, know. I didn't I, love it. I can see that looking back. Yeah. Well, and I get uh, you and I talked a little bit about this earlier, but looking back on this movie, your opinions of it, I think, drastically can change in the moment. I was much more engaged with it then after the fact and thinking about the movie and kind of analyzing it not there in the theater and it changed my mind about a lot of things and i can totally see where you're coming from with the the opener there because it it is kind of like a giant clue in your face and the moment you know kind of anything that's happening in the movie you, you start putting the pieces together and it kind of unfortunately spoils it in some regard the acting though was superb Yes, um, especially Ugh. Lupita Nyong'o. Oh I mean, my goodness! There's, there's definitely a reason why she has won an Oscar before. She is an amazing actress, uh, and I would say that this is definitely one of her strongest performances. And I love that that all of the actors like had to play two characters, and <laughs> and it was you know a, a character and then like a weird bastardization of the character. I love that. Well, they were very opposite each other. Uh, my favorite was. Shahadi Wright Joseph. She was the daughter of Adelaide. She played Zora. Her evil twin, Umbre, was just. The red gave the description that she was a monster. There was nothing else that we got. And it was just her facial expressions that you're like, yep, she's terrifying. She's a horrible person and a sociopath. And we, we didn't get any backstory. We didn't have any description as why Red was describing her daughter as a monster. But we got it all from her face. And it was creepy and perfect and awesome. Yeah, or, or I'd say both of the kids, uh, especially when they were playing the tethered versions of the characters, I, I feel like were really strong. Like Pluto, the, the tethered version of Jason. Oh, totally. Very unnerving. Very animalistic. Yep. And again, just everyone was really, really committed to their characters and just knocked it out of the park. You know, even just like looking at like Winston Duke's character, the, the husband, Gabe slash Abraham, he was just really good at being just like a goofy dad who loves doing dad jokes. And just he was very relatable just by how dropped in he was to his character. You know, it's it's really easy to play the goofy dad character as as too goofy or too unrealistic but i bought it i actually kind of wanted to go back to the tethers uh, just because i think we didn't really talk enough about how interesting they are as uh, in how they were presented to us there was a little bit of inconsistency in in sometimes how they were shown you know some of the tethers definitely were were given to us in, in a way that had more that we could work with than others but I really liked the idea that their whole lives were, you know, literally running in parallel to, you know, those on the surface. And so they have these like really messed up perceptions of what they want out of life. 
a great example of this, I, I would say, is Kitty uh, and her tethered Dahlia, where, you know, as soon as, and, and you know, you see Kitty is, is like a very vain person, you know, she just got Botox, she, you know, is very, you know, constantly talking about like, oh, like, yeah, I could have been a movie star, but then I had the girls, and, you know, just that kind of person, and, and, you, and you see that paralleled by the fact that as soon as Kitty is murdered and, and you know, Dahlia is sitting in her house, she goes and she is just putting on her lip gloss. You know, like, th- that's what she thinks is is normal. That, that's, that's what people do on the surface. She's going and, and copying the thing that she's done underground a million times, but now she actually has the tools to do it. And... And and she seems so like radiantly happy. She's grinning and all of that. But it's but she's not really doing that good of a job. It doesn't actually look that good on her. It's just her doing this thing because that's what she thinks is normal to want. So I love that idea. Um, and I feel like that definitely came through with a lot of the potential interpretations of the movie. But I I loved seeing that uh, in play with with the different characters where where you get to see or or or, or even um going uh to to jason and pluto you know jason is constantly wearing this like uh kind of monkey mask and and you know, he wants to be you know like he so so you get the the strong impression that he likes kind of playing as an animal and then you see pluto who basically is an animal it's really interesting to see how their perceptions of each other are so shaped by kind of everyday things without context and maybe let's just kind of dive in because i think that's a good segue to talk about what kind of the underlying theme and some of the kind of hidden meanings of this movie are you know for me when i was first watching the movie i really thought that these kind of shadow tethered counterparts um kind of are like the darker side of humans you know we we have kind of this kind of darker side to humanity that we try and shun and hide and keep under control you know a very freudian psychology going on here with the ego and and what we desire and what we want always has to be shoved down and pushed beneath us and and so for me that's kind of what i was latching on to that you know with the rabbits and kind of this tethered that somehow this dark side of ourself was real and it's coming after to get us so it can it can get what it wants and the plot twist for me really kind of ruined that because it, it i don't know it, it was like a freaky friday in some aspects but not as hilarious well so why did it ruin it i think it took away a lot of that kind of real life impact that we we Everyone has that subconscious desire that we have to kind of keep in check. And I don't know, it kind of took some of the reality away from it. It turned it into a very, almost into a slasher flick instead of kind of a supernatural horror. And I prefer supernatural, of course. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, it, it kind of cheapened the movie a little bit in some regards in my mind. And maybe that's the wrong way to describe it. I don't know. I, I I was just hoping it was going to be a little bit more philosophical than what it turned out to be. And again, there's a bajillion different ways of interpreting this movie. And I know you kind of have a, a list that we can talk about. But And I do want to make mention that this is just kind of my initial thoughts right after we saw the movie. Like mm-hmm. I've had a few days to kind of digest and think about it. And I've, I've kind of changed my mind here and there. But I I don't know. I don't know. I was kind of left wanting more philosophy from it. And I, I will agree with you uh, in that I felt like the twist, especially when I was first watching the film, as soon as that twist happened, when I was like, Oh, like, yeah, they switched as kids. And, and so now this is almost like more of just like a revenge story than, I don't know. That that was my problem with it is that I immediately saw like, oh, this is just revenge. It's not really about anything else. It's it's just that one character feels like her life was screwed over by this other character. That was my initial reaction to it. But as I've had time to digest it, I've kind of changed my opinion. 
But before I get into that, though, let's let's hit up on or hit on some of the interpretations that we've seen of the movie, because I, I find it really interesting that this is such a open piece of, of of symbolism. Like Get Out, for example, is about race in America today and, and the shape that racism is taking today. That's really basic, like it's very straightforward about that. But this movie, um, Jordan Peele has, and you know, has, has remarked that he wanted to uh, to make a movie that is much more open to interpretation. And so here are some of the interpretations: immigration, and and that was actually something that both came from uh, your boyfriend and my wife, as well as I've seen it online. Domestic terrorism, the duality of man. There was stuff about, like, commercialism. There was stuff about American hubris. Um, I don't know. There's a gazillion ways to interpret this this movie. But, yeah, I, I would say it's because it is so full of symbolism that you can kind of go into the weeds as much as you want on that. And, you know, a lot of those I could... I can kind of see and kind of project them onto the plot. And maybe that's one of the best things about this movie is it's so open to that kind of and that level of interpretation that really it can mean something so different for two different people. And and I think that's that that is good. As has been mentioned previously, I teach English. I, you know, study literature. And I love that as long as you can make an argument, you know, with the with the text or in this case, you know, with the with aspects of the film, you know, a a piece of literature or a film could be about literally anything as long as you can make a com- a compelling argument. I love that about art, you know, that that you can interpret it how you want to. And this one basically asks you to as you know, well, what do you get out of it? And, you know, something that just kind of dawned on me, too, is this idea of the tethered that, you know, this one movie can have two identical but different meanings at the same time. Mm hmm. That was crazy. Stupid movie. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 you'll see that, like, the movie sets up a lot of things that you can find meaning in. Something we haven't even mentioned is how often that the film uses Eleven. Uh, I'm just going to name a, a handful of instances. Uh, so obviously there is a, a hobo on the on the boardwalk who holds up a sign that says Jeremiah 1111. That's why we had Jeremiah 1111 as our kind of tagline uh, for this. The family shows up at 1111 p.m. At, at the very beginning of the film, young Adelaide, her, her dad wins her uh, t-shirt on a fair game and she chooses the 11th prize. There's there's like 30 more of them, guys. I can't remember them all. You can look them up online. You know, I've seen some people kind of look up like, oh, well, like frequently the 11 is a symbol for this or, or means this. Or if you're born on the 11th, you're kind of like looking at like more of an astrological kind of approach. But a lot of people are like, no, like it's literally just two ones next to each other. And having that on a, on a wider scale than that, you know, it's it's two sets of ones next to each other. There's there's duplication. You know, you, you could go one step further. You can say, okay, so 11 is significant because it's two ones, but one of them is worth more than the other. Yeah. You know, one of them is basically symbolic of 10, while the other one is just a one. That That's just one of the symbolic things that he uses and has just jam-packed into this movie. There are, you know, a gazillion things like that. You know, and I've had people point out, like, oh, well, like, the scissors kind of like when they're open almost look like you know a stylized 11 jeez it, it it was in like five different articles so apparently a lot of people found significance in that but like it is so chock full of potential symbolism outside of even just like what happens in the story that it 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 begs you to interpret it how you will i have a hard time finding any one particular interpretation to be the one that like resonates with me because I tend to take a very clinical approach and I go, Hey, like it's interesting to look how this could be a symbol for this or this or this, just cause that's how my brain works now that I've, you know, studied literature to death sometimes. And just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit, there are a few kind of fun facts that I think are just very brilliantly subtle. One of those is that in the Wilson's toy closet, it gets um, pretty good screen time at the beginning of the movie 
there's a game that's guess who which of course it's you're trying to match the identical face of your card to the other players kind of guessing hmm I didn't notice that. That's fun. Yeah, a few other things that I noticed. The word on Zora's hoodie kind of struck me, and so I looked it up today, actually, as I was thinking about this movie, and it actually means rabbit in Vietnamese. Hmm. Um, And then one thing I looked up was the beginning scene where it was talking about Hands Across America. There was a commercial playing, and you could see a VHS copy of a movie called Chud, c.h.u.d which is a horror movie yeah and so i I looked there's also elm street i looked up the horror movie chud though and it's about a cult that lives underground in tunnels below new york city that are the shadows of the people above Hmm. so it's it's just crazy and and one of my other favorite things too and once you know the plot twist you can kind of recognize it is as the movie progresses, Adelaide's kind of white hoodie that she's wearing gets progressively more red and red and red with the stained blood, almost kind of revealing who she really is at the end of the day. And that might be looking into it a little bit too far, but Jordan Peele knows how to make a deep, complex, intricate movie, and this one delivered. And he knows how to telegraph stuff in really interesting ways. So a lot of I, I know our reactions to the plot twist were kind of like, oh, that was kind of like a last minute, like Shyamalan, like reveal kind of thing. Like, oh, man, like, really, you're going to pull that out, uh, uh, pull that out at the last minute. But it was telegraphed. It was there the whole time. There were definitely references to the fact that it was actually really, you know, read the whole time. Uh, just one example is that when she is getting therapy or you know when she's at the therapist's office her parents are talking to the therapist she's just kind of sitting there playing you know basically they're they're upset because she's not talking but literally like we we know that the for the most part the tether don't know how to talk because no one taught them to and so you know she has to learn to express herself first through dance and then she's able to learn how to talk again well, and I, I didn't even recognize that until you say this right now. And, like, you look at the other tethereds, um, Pluto and Umbra and Tex, the, the counterparts to the family, none of them talk at all. Yeah. Like, it make it, ah, it just it blows your mind. Yeah, I mean, Abraham, whenever in, or in, in place of talking, he just shouts. Like, you know, it, it sounds like a, a deaf person shouting. So that was there. there. There was a big clue right there. Like, hey, yeah, no, she's not talking at all. It, you know, they, they don't say like, oh, she's like, she just, you know, is, is having a hard time letting us know what happened. They, they literally have no idea what happened because she can't tell them. So let's maybe talk about some of what we thought the scariest moments of the movies were. I kind of made mention that I thought the sister's twin, Umbre or Umbra or however you pronounce it, um, was really terrifying. She has a lot of just kind of look into the camera scenes and just has this terrifying, creepy smile that just got under my skin quite a bit. She, I thought, was the most scary of the tethered, even over Pluto, you know, this animalistic seven or eight year old she just captured evil in a way in her eyes that just really got to me also lupita's eyes holy monkeys (laughs) Uh, the scene where she's kind of doing the reveal of who the tethered are red has this very intense close-up and she's cutting this set of paper into one of those you know snowflake paper but in the style of a family and her eyes are just bulging and they're like they almost look jaundiced and bloodshot and just oh oh it was creepy gross creepy gross she she can put a a tremendous amount of emotion in her face in just like subtle things you know kind of to to mirror that just when she starts kind of realizing what's going on like that they're in trouble at their house uh during the the home invasion scene she you can see just in the the like subtlest things in her face that like she is terrified and uh, I don't know. She she is an amazing actress who can really like put even yeah you know, the subtlest eye movements into her performance. And two of the kind of big moments that I got really kind of creeped out was first when the tethered family is first seen. They're at the top of this driveway. The lights behind them. They're holding hands, which actually mirrors the little family sticker on the back of Adelaide's car. Mm, I didn't think about that little moment. 
Um, it's just really, really horrifying. You know, I work night shift at a hotel. The last thing I ever want to see is like a silhouette of some human in the light of a street light or something, you know, it's just, ugh, I don't like that. Biggest one, I think for me, and I don't know why this got under my skin so much, but the first time we see all of the tethered holding hands and kind of replicating this hands across America thing it was almost comical, but at the same time, super unnerving for me. This like awesome thing that America did back in the 80s, kind of twisted and distorted into this revolution. I, I don't know. It was it surprised me that it scared me so much. <laughs> well, I, I think what makes it so effective is because one, they're holding hands, but they're holding hands like around these scissors. Yeah. And, and then they're surrounded by dead bodies like They've murdered hundreds of people just all around them, and they're just there very blankly standing and holding hands. It's like they don't know what to do without the tethered. They've killed that part of themselves, and we're yeah. we're fulfilling this holding hands thing, and like, now what? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a certain degree of that there, where it's, if they accomplish their goal, if they murder all the people up on top, like, what? do they do next I, I don't know if they've even gotten that far and the thing is i don't i don't know if they necessarily have enough willpower or information to right you know it it, it sounds like it it took the actual red who became adelaide a long time to be able to function in in normal society and they don't have a normal society to function in now they just have their messed up broken society where their perception of the world is a weird mirror image uh that that lacks any context so scariest parts for me so yeah the initial home invasion very effective for me Ugh, it was so good i i don't know if i mentioned this before but a lot of times i'm not huge on the home invasion kind of movie but i really like this one because one their house just wasn't really designed in a way that was very conducive to keeping them safe and they did their best to fight against the tethered as they were breaking their way in but ultimately like they were just wildly unprepared for this very intense very focused attack and so it only took a few minutes for them to all end up basically sitting on the couch injured or scared or you know threatened at the very least to have that initial conversation with red yeah no matter what they do everything just feels very helpless and i loved that that level of terror that came from simply hey at this point there's not anything they can do there they really are just kind of subject to finding out what's going on and what these people want before they can even have a chance at, at maybe surviving or, or fighting back true so i really liked that um, another thing that I really thought was was effective in terms of the creep factor is during the kind of the, the last act of the movie where, where Red is explaining everything, you see young Adelaide, you know, with her family at the at the boardwalk doing the fair games and that kind of stuff. And then you see the people uh, underneath, like what that actually looks like to be a tethered. You know, you see the the people who are riding roller coasters and you see the tethered just like jerking around like they're on a roller coaster in a room. And it was very unnerving to see, you know, to, to see. And, 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 they, and they weren't like exact, you know, kind of one to one movements. It was them trying to replicate what's happening above. But yeah, once again, lacking any context. And so it's a, this weird bastardization of what's actually happening. Yeah, that was very simplistic but horrifying at the same time that was a great scene maybe let's talk about some things we don't love so much about the movie and we've kind of gone over here and there a little bit mm -hmm. shoot us off what was one of your things you didn't love this movie was a very funny movie surprisingly i don't know if that always worked for me this this feels weird because from one of our most recent episodes i think it was the conjuring episode I actually cut a like, five-minute conversation in which we were kind of arguing about the, the purpose of humor <laughs> in horror. I feel like humor can be very, very effective in horror movies. I felt like sometimes it, it was too present uh, in a way that it 
took away a lot of the tension from scenes that should have been otherwise scary. A great example of this would be when you're seeing the friend's family get murdered. That happens very fast, but but or I guess not, not necessarily when they're getting murdered, but when you see uh, the Wilsons going into their friend's family's house, the whole time it's it's playing uh, the rap song F the Police. And, and when that came on, it was because uh, as she was getting murdered, Kitty says, you know, like, to their digital assistant you know call the police and and then it you know misunderstood her and said you know now playing f the police do you want to know another fun fact that i thought was pretty poignant what the computer the alexa like object that they use to try and call the police her name's ophelia ophelia comes from a greek root um which means help so you know just a little fun fact with max (laughs) yeah no that, that that's a that's a fun detail but yeah, when that, that first came on, everyone laughed, but then it just like continued to loudly play through the entire scene as the tethers have, have dragged away Adelaide. The kids are like slowly moving through the house with their makeshift weapons going and, and killing the tethered versions of their friends. Yeah, as they're going through the house. And like it was too much of, of the humor, I guess. You know, the, the the presence of the song elicited laughter, but at a certain point it just kind of felt like it took over all of the tension out of the scene like all of those those kills all of the potential threat there kind of evaporated for me because it was just next to the contrast of that song and i totally agree sometimes i do feel like horror doesn't have a place with comedy and this one there were some aspects especially in the beginning of the movie which i thought were awesome they were fun it made the family feel more real oh yeah but then again, yeah, like you're totally right in this terrible, horrifying scene where this family is getting slaughtered, you know, this police song is playing and it just feels awkward. And then the dad, too, throughout the rest of the movie, still is trying to whip out, you know, one-liners and zingers, which, uh, it's just, not the time, not the place, dad, like, <laughs> read the room in some way. It, it just felt disconnected and awkward. I understand, especially if, if a character is trying to elicit laughter as like a coping mechanism or something like that. That yeah. wasn't what it felt like. It felt like it was for the audience to, to make the audience laugh. And I don't mind a little bit of that because it can be a pressure valve. It, it can help the filmmaker really control when the scares come and how intensely they come. But in this case, I felt like sometimes it was just so much pressure loss that when the scary thing happened, I wasn't scared. I, I, I just I was still laughing at the, the last joke. Sometimes nailed it. Other times, not so much. And I think you kind of touched on this a little bit as well, that I and my boyfriend, we really, really loved the music. And I, I want to put a caveat on that, that I really liked kind of the more instrumental music that was done. Uh, that I thought had a really fun pace. I thought it was well executed and had some really creepy moments where it really almost became a character in some regards. Mm -hmm. But then again, you have these kind of disjointed rap songs going out of nowhere and other kind of hip hop songs that I, I don't know, felt like they were added last minute and not with a lot of thought. Man, you send it like so white when you're saying those Shut rap up. songs and those, those hip-hop <laughs> songs. Those hip-hop and rap songs with all them youngins and the millennials. I know, I know. I tried to make me not sound white and basic, but I failed. <laughs> so I, I guess, yeah, it's important to, to include the caveat here that we are two white dudes from Utah. It's true. So... It's very, very true. So our experience with rap music is relatively limited and by relatively it's limited in all capacity (laughs) (laughs) but no i i agree um though actually i felt like some of the musical cues that didn't work for me were some of the instrumental stuff i I would say as far as you know my issues with with the rap it was mostly just with the f the police song but i felt like its use of say five on it that song seemed stuck in my head for a long time because i loved how it was used in that movie especially when it was incorporated into the score later on. But I felt like some of the, the instrumental cues, especially during the home invasion scene, were a little bit too light and poppy and, and didn't have the level of intensity that, that the musical cues in the, in the later half of the film had. 
so I don't know. It I feel like the use of the music was like fifty percent like like fifty percent of it was just perfect and fifty percent of it was just not working for me. Let's get into something that I really kinda of wanna focus on and hopefully can be a very good discussion is this idea that we didn't fully get a fleshed out kind of history or discussion about who the tethered were, how they came to be, what their purpose was. We got kind of a a little blurb about it from Red slash Real Adelaide about these scientists who created them so that they could control the people above, and we didn't really know what that meant. And so for me... I felt like it was an okay enough amount of information to kind of be happy with it. You know, I I wanted more, obviously. I I love mythos. I love storytelling. I like knowing how things came to be. And this idea of scientists created them, that's kind of congruent with this rabbit theme. And maybe there were clones. But it also kind of got old god kind of a thing that there was this divine nature. I, I don't know. I, I, it left me wanting more, but at the same time, it was like a, a first round of Thanksgiving dinner where I had eaten enough food to be happy, but I still wanted to go back for seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess to me, it was one of those things that, because not that much was explained about like where the tether came from, what their existence looked like outside of you know that that really creepy scene i referenced it's kind of hard because the more i thought about it i felt like the less it worked let me just provide an example so we know that all that they eat is rabbits but where did the rabbits come from yeah why are there more rabbits It, it, it mentioned that the project was abandoned so where did these more rabbits keep coming from are they are they breeding them themselves do they have time to do that do they have the capacity to do that when they're being the tethered and having to replicate the days of the people up above? Like, I just feel like the more I dig into, like, what is it actually like to be a tethered and, and how did they get made and how are all of these tunnels actually connected to each other? All of those things, the, 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 the deeper I looked at it, the more it felt like it kind of was just half-baked. Which leads me to a big question I want to ask you, because we've kind of gone into this theme a little bit before, is, you know, there are a lot of horror movies out there that show everything to you. Sometimes in the trailer, sometimes in the first 10 minutes, you see the demon, you see the monster, you know its backstory, you know who it's been dating, you know what it did for a job when it was 16, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know everything about it. And sometimes... Less is more in horror movies. Um, a great example of this in my mind is Hereditary. You know, the the trailers showed hardly anything. And I know we can go on and on about Hereditary and we do every episode. But it, it did this so well that you didn't know it was about demons until halfway through the movie. And then, again, it kept kind of the cult satanic rituals to the bare minimum and left it up to our interpretation. And and kind of made you want to do the research and look into it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So when does a movie, or when does a horror movie, when is too little a bad thing, and when is too much a bad thing? And for you, Nathaniel, where is that happy medium between the two? You know, there's there's not one right answer, and that's what makes it all so tricky. It really depends on the movie. Um, Some movies... And, and and I think that that's that's why you really need to rely on on things like test audiences and things like that. But yeah, there there are definitely some movies that they just give you everything on a on a plate. Uh, the the recent Blair Witch movie, The Blair Witch, kind of came to mind where it it had to explain everything. It had to explain time loops. It had to explain you know i had to plug everything in and and and, you know try to answer every single question that you had and it felt almost like you were kind of beating beat over the head with information now i ultimately still kind of like the movie but it was a bit much there are other movies that yeah you just kind of like i don't know enough about this thing to be scared or i I guess for example two movies that kind of come to mind is a quiet place and bird box um and Bird Box is a fantastic movie on Netflix. Definitely go watch it. And we've done an episode about A Quiet Place. 
Um, definitely listen to that episode. But they're very similar movies in the fact that they're ap- apocalyptic um, visitors from another planet, other dimension, whatever you want to call it, invade Earth, kind of take over, and humans have to kind of figure out what they're going to do from now on. Both involve families getting from point A to point B trying to survive. Quiet Place does a really good job at not like full-on showing you what the monsters look like, but we learn a lot about how they function, how they move, how they act, um, how to avoid them. The story there is really fleshed out, and I don't need to know the invasion story to understand what they're doing here on the planet. Bird Box, while Sandra Bullock does a phenomenal acting job, has these weird, almost spiritual beings that come and visit the Earth. You look at them, and you see something, I guess, that you fear the most, or you see something so horrifying that it makes you kill yourself. But other people who may be mentally challenged, when they look at them, they become enlightened and believe in them and try and get you to look at them. And it's all visual, so if you see these creatures, then you kind of lose your mind. But but that's all we know. We don't know where they came from. We don't know their purpose. We don't know they're aliens. We don't know that they're angels or demons or whatever. The story is on Sandra Bullock's family's journey and kind of the buildup to how they get from point A to point B. And for me, Quiet Place is the superior movie because of that. Had Bird Box given me some more um, you know, what are these mysterious creatures? I would have been happier with the overall the overall movie. And so that for me is kind of this happy balance of too much is a bad thing, too little is a bad thing, but where do you meet in the middle? And and here's the weird thing about Bird Box. Like, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I feel like the book actually gave me even less about ex- like what exactly is happening uh, as far as these aliens or beings or whatever they are. And I actually ended up liking it more in the book form, where I had even less than the movie, but the movie, I feel like, tried to explain stuff while not actually explaining anything. Yeah, yeah. And so it's 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 weird. There there are there's such a weird spectrum to all of this. And and yeah, so the like, there's not always a, a way to pin down what is the appropriate amount of information to give the audience. And so ultimately, yeah, I think that's one of those things where um, you have to kind of find out what what questions the audience has and what is appropriate to put in and what isn't. And ultimately, sometimes you're going to succeed, sometimes you're going to fail. Um, it really depends on, I guess, how good your beta readers, beta viewers, whatever, how, how good a feedback they give you. So I guess changing gears then, one last thing I really wanted to talk about that I didn't like about the movie as much, and, and this is kind of you know playing off of everything we've already talked about, is, is just that ultimately I feel like the movie works better at a symbolic level. Like you can definitely you know interpret it and, and really just dig in and, and you know find a, a deep meaning and, and find the ways that it showed that deep meaning it works better at that than it does at the literal level. And I think that's a shame because I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, finding a symbolic meaning or, you know, interpreting a piece of literature or a piece of film, but it has to work at the literal level first. And I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think that is kind of a big reason why the plot twist was so dissatisfying to me. Is it kind of, made all of that fall apart in some regards that and i know earlier i mentioned that i I did want more philosophy to it but at the same time like you just mentioned the reality has to be there first and foremost and so this you mentioned m night Shyamalan, kind of a twist and that's how it felt it was kind of like we've been walking down this road for so long and then all of a sudden we're on a different one and it it's like well okay well what was the whole hour and 40 minutes behind us about you know yeah well and and that's the interesting thing is that i think a lot of times maybe why the that twist felt like it didn't work is because you had had kind of already started interpreting it uh, in different ways at least that that's what happened for me is i i started kind of looking at like okay like maybe i can interpret it this way maybe i can interpret it this way and then it pulled the twist 
uh, on me. And then I was like, ah, I don't know if any of those interpretations actually work anymore. It, it definitely made me want to watch the movie again. Agreed. And and I, I will say that it, I think that this is one of those movies that once I watch it a few more times, I, my opinion of it's going to probably get better and better every time I watch it because I'll, I'll see more that's there. But I don't know. I, I see part of me is like, oh, like I didn't love that twist. It yeah, it felt almost kind of a cheap shot at the end. But on the flip side, it seems like it maybe adds a whole nother level level of depth to the the potential interpretation. It's one of those things. Yeah, like when I watch the theater, I'm like, Ugh, I like that movie, but the the twist kind of didn't work for me. And now that I've sat with it longer, it kind of maybe is working for me. I don't know. It's 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 hard. It's hard. It's one of those movies I need to watch again. And I agree. I think it has a lot of good rewatchability properties to it. And the more you do that, I think you may understand a few bits and pieces a little bit clearer. Um, and yeah, maybe we need to have a Us Part 2 episode. <laughs> yeah, Us Revisited once we've watched it another time. And, and... Us Again. oh man we talk us again one of the more important questions that i'll ask you in this entire podcast though what do you think your tethered name would be uh what would my tethered be named see that's tricky because so the the tethered don't have necessarily a very clear naming system you know we have adelaide and red we have Gabe and Abraham, which are both biblical names. There's Kitty and Dahlia, Josh and Tex. There's Zora and Umbre, which actually is something that's really interesting because Zora, I think, is, is a word that means like sunrise and Umbre refers to the moon. There's Jason and Pluto, which are both like Greek mythology. Yeah, Rain and Eartha, Becca and Io, Lindsay and Nyx. I don't know. So Nyx... Nixon, Io, or Greek mythology. Pluto, for me, I thought was more from Pluto the dog, like a Disney Could motif, be. because he was very animalistic. Mine would probably be something boring, like Kevin. <laughs> Max and Kevin. Max and Kevin. Or really just blatantly superficial, like Freckles. Max and Freckles. Well, I don't think any of them are quite that bad. No, I know. I'm just... The draw of my luck would just be this lame thing uh, yeah i or alistair if i'm cool <laughs> you wish it was I normally know. shush yeah i don't know if anyone wants to to make a suggestion of, of what my name would be send it to me on twitter i would be happy to hear it well to end this episode should we give it our screams and our crowns yes for me, I'm going to give it a 7 on Screams and actually a 7 on Crowns. I think it's a very solid movie. Had a lot of awesome, creepy, scary moments. Got under my skin a few times. Didn't stick with me after I got back home or worked later that night. On, the, on a creepy level. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a good movie. Worth the movie ticket price. I'll probably buy it when it comes out on DVD. You know, it's... It's a pretty good one, all things considered. Yeah, um, I'm going to give it the same rating, 7 and 7. I, I don't think I'm going to actually end up buying this one. I, I mean, I, I own Get Out. I don't think this is going to be one that I'm going to own necessarily. I do want to watch it again, though, so I'll probably end up renting it at least once. I mean, if I if I was given a copy, I'd be pretty happy. But yeah, it's, it's not a movie I think I'm going to revisit a ton but I definitely do want to revisit it at least one more time. Yeah, it was it, it had some really good scares that worked in the moment, but I would say it could have been a higher scream rating if it had maybe toned back some of the, the humor. Ultimately, yeah, it's 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 a seven with both just because it, it was a good movie. It could have been an amazing movie. I really thought it was going to be the, the best horror movie of the year, but now I think it's probably going to be Midsummer. Oh, wow. We can't talk about that yet. But Ari Aster's making a movie called Midsummer, so... And it's all about a cold and Wicca and all sorts of things, and it's just going to give me a huge cinemagasm. So we'll talk about that when that comes out, obviously, because Ari Aster made another movie, So, and you know that we haven't shut up about the last one yet, so... He's not responding to any of my petitions to have him on the episode. I've sent him some locks of my hair, that's probably why... <laughs> um, maybe I'll start sending him toenails. Maybe that will get the picture across. <laughs> I suppose you haven't started doing stuff with your grimoires. 
Yeah, I mean, no, I haven't done that. I mean, yeah, payment's not sitting right next. I mean, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks, that is our review of Us. It's a great movie. Uh, it's not perfect, but overall it's intriguing, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I have not been able to stop thinking about it and trying to make sense of it and trying to... Yeah, that, that, that that's, that's ultimately, I guess, the thing I'm going to say is I haven't stopped reading articles about it. I haven't stopped thinking about it ever since I saw it. And so even though it's not sticking with me on a level that, that necessarily is keeping me up at night from terror, it is still sticking with me. So, yeah. It's got to be a testament to its quality. Yep. All right, friends, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScreamKingsPod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.